First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We took a break from our study of Paul's letter to the Philippians last week for Easter, Uh, but today we are jumping right back in. Uh, to uh, this incredible letter and and continuing to think and and study together how we can have joy in Jesus. Uh, We're looking at Philippians 2 today. We're going to study verses 12 through 18. And uh, let's read God's word as we get started. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, So that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word. That, Father, truly, as we just sang a moment ago, that all we would desire would be you. That, Lord, our heart's desire would be to know you more, to draw closer to you today through your word and by your spirit. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the verses right before we picked up our reading today, in verses 5 through 11, uh, the text that we studied two Sundays ago, uh, Paul gives us one of the most beautiful pictures of the Lord Jesus that we find anywhere in the Bible. That passage, verses 5 through 11, is known as the hymn to Christ, and it speaks so powerfully about how the Lord Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven how he took on flesh, how he became a man, uh, how he was obedient to the Father's plan, how he humbled himself all the way to the point of death on the cross, and and how because of that, the, the Father has highly exalted Christ, has given him the name that is above every name, uh, and declares in this text that one day every knee will bow to Christ, that one day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And, and so in that passage, Jesus is being held up for us as the ultimate example of how God wants us to live. He is the ultimate example to us of the kind of humility that verses 1 through 4 talks about at the beginning of this chapter. But he's also the ultimate example of the kind of obedient living that God wants to see in us, which is the theme of verses 12 through 18, our text for today. 
And, and so, in, in fact, kind of the big picture is, is what the Lord wants to see in the life of Christ followers is that we would become more and more like Jesus, right? He is the model. He is our example. And so in these verses, right after giving us this incredible model and picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, in verses 12 through 18, Paul shows us three ways to live like Jesus in a world that needs Jesus. Three ways to live like Jesus in a world that needs Jesus. The first thing he says is that we need to work out. We need to work out. Now by that I don't mean that we need to get to the gym more often. Uh, although in my case that would certainly be true. But, but Paul is speaking about a different kind of, of working out here. Look, look at verse 12 with me. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He begins that verse with the word therefore, because again, what he's saying is built on the example of Jesus Christ, the example that he just gave us in verses 5 through 11. And he's saying based on that, based on what Jesus has done for us, based on the fact that he came and that he died and that he rose again, here is how we should live as a result of that. And he calls the people in this church his beloved. Paul, as we have seen, loved the people of this church that he's writing to. And he's writing to them now with the heart of a pastor for these believers. And he says to them, as you have always obeyed. Now what he's doing there is he's encouraging them. He's saying that, 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 that you already are doing the things that I'm about to, to talk to you about. I just want to see you do them even more. And he says, I want you to obey not only in my presence, but also in my absence. There was a very similar idea up in chapter 1 in verse 27 where Paul, who's writing this letter from prison, says whether I'm able to physically come and be with you or whether I'm not able to come and be with you and I just hear about you, this is what I want to hear about you. This is how I want to hear that you are living. And, and here in this verse, again, a very similar idea. He, he doesn't want their obedience to be about him. He doesn't want their obedience to be only when he is physically with them. He wants their obedience to the Lord to be motivated by their love for the Lord. And you know, that's a, really a good takeaway for every single one of us, that our obedience in our Christian life cannot be about a particular person. It cannot be about a particular leader or teacher or pastor. It can't only be that when that person is around that we will live for Jesus. But rather, we need to come to the place where we live for Jesus because of what Jesus has done in our lives. And so back in verse 12, after saying all of that, Paul gets to the main command in this verse. And he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's what the Bible says we need to work out. We need to work out our own salvation. Now this verse has caused a great deal of difficulty for uh, many people because at face value, it almost seems as though Paul is saying we need to work for our salvation. 
And, and, and someone will respond and say, hey, now, wait a minute. I thought the Bible teaches uh, that we can't work for our salvation, that our salvation is a free gift uh, given by God's grace that's received through faith, that it's not something we can work for, that it's not something that we can earn. And actually, that's exactly right. In fact, the same Apostle Paul who wrote these words in Philippians also wrote the letter to the Ephesians. And in the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, this is what Paul says. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So, so it is true that salvation is not something that we can work for. It's a gift that must be received. But, but here in this passage in Philippians, I want us to be careful here because Paul does not say that we need to work for our salvation. He says we need to work out our own salvation. He, he's writing to Christians here. He calls them saints in chapter 1, verse 1. He's writing to Christians who have already received salvation and he's telling them to work out that salvation <clears throat> that is already theirs in their daily lives. And it's important to remember at this point that in the Bible, salvation is talked about in several different senses. At first, it is talked about in the past. That we use the word justification to speak about that. When we use language like, I've been saved, or there was a day when I got saved, we're referring to this past event, that the justification that happened, the day that we believed in Jesus, that we truly understood that he died for us on the cross, that he rose again, when we asked him to forgive us, when we asked him to become our Lord and our Savior, we were justified before God. That's something that's, for those of you in this room who are followers of Jesus Christ. That is a past event uh, that has happened in your life. But the Bible also speaks about salvation as something that is present. Not only have we been saved, but the Bible speaks in terms like this. The Bible says that we are being saved right now. That that salvation that God has worked in our life that began in the past is continuing to flesh itself out right now. And the word that the Bible uses for that is sanctification. That we are becoming sanctified. We're becoming more and more holy, more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the salvation that is going on in the life of every Christian right now. In this life. But also the Bible speaks about salvation as something that's coming in the future. That there is a future day of full and final salvation that the Bible uses the term glorification. A day when we will be with Jesus, when we will not sin anymore. Is anybody looking forward to that day? Right? That, that is our coming future salvation. So we can say with the word salvation, we can say we have been saved, we are being saved, and one day we will be saved. In fact, if you look back at chapter 1 in verse 6, Paul says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, that's uh, the past salvation, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the future salvation. That's the glorification. So in chapter 1, verse 6, he speaks about the beginning of that process and the end of that process. And here in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he's talking about the middle of that process. He's talking about how that salvation is fleshing itself out in our daily lives. And yet one of the things that people debate about this period of our growing in holiness 
is how much of that is the work of God and how much of that is our own human responsibility. And some people have emphasized different sides of that equation. There are some people who really emphasize our responsibility as Christians to grow. And, and so they speak about how we need to work, work, work. You know, we need to be in like 18 different Bible studies, right? If we're really going to grow uh, to be like Jesus. And if you're not growing uh, to be like Jesus, it's, it's your fault. It's because you're not uh, working hard enough. And you can see how that uh, mindset easily lends itself to legalism. Right, to, to a list of rules and regulations, to things that you need to do if you're really going to be a good Christian. And if you don't do all of these things, uh, then you probably aren't. But on the other side of the equation, there are those who really emphasize God's work in our sanctification, in our growing to be like Jesus. And, and what they teach is that God does everything to make us holy. And so really all we need to do is just to chill. Right? We just don't need to do anything at all. Uh, in fact, the expression that's used is we just need to let go and let God. Right? And so we just sit down in the recliner and, and we just let God do his work. And without any effort on our part at all, we are going to miraculously grow in holiness to be like Jesus. But the truth of the matter is neither one of those is biblically accurate. And this passage that is in front of us gives us the balanced biblical view of how we are to grow as Christians. Yes, verse 12 says that we have a role to play. Uh, we're not supposed to sit back and do nothing. We are to be active in seeking after God and working out the salvation that he has graciously given us. But how are we going to be able to do that? How are we going to be able to work out our salvation? Well, verse 13 tells us, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So yes, we have a role and God has a role, but we're only able to do our part because God is doing his, right? Because God is working in our lives and enabling us to work out that salvation. So another way of saying that is this right here. We're called to work out what God is working in. We're called to work out what God is working in. And, and you see this balance in, in several other passages in the New Testament. One of them is in 1 Corinthians 15.10, actually part of the passage that we looked at last week on Easter Sunday. Paul said this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I... But the grace of God, which was in me. Paul's speaking about how hard he worked, how in many ways he labored harder than even all the rest of the apostles. And yet he says, it really wasn't me that was doing the work, but it was the grace of God at work in me. And then in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, another passage where Paul says something very similar. He says, Him, Christ, we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul's ministry was all about. Verse 29, To this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. 
Paul says he's laboring, he's working, he's striving. But again, he's doing it according to the work of God that is working in him. So again, we're called to work out what God is working in. And it's important that we take both of those aspects to heart. And so again, in verse 12, we're told that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. If we've been saved by God's grace, then we need to let that salvation show up in the way that we do everything. And really at its simplest level, what it means to work out our salvation is to follow the example of Jesus Christ. In the same way that verse 8 says that Jesus obeyed the Father in all things, as we're seeking to work out our salvation, we need to obey the Father in every area. And that means if, if God reveals to us an area that doesn't look like Jesus, that we confess it, that we turn from it, and that we seek to follow him. There's really no shortcuts here. Uh, as one person uh, said it, that there really is no uh, secret special kale diet that you can eat that's going to turn you into a super Christian. Right? It's just about obeying Jesus Christ day after day after day. Eugene Peterson said that the Christian life is, quote, long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. We have to obey and take off what God's word tells us to take off. We have to put on what God's word tells us to put on. And it's our responsibility as followers of Christ to pursue, to chase after holiness. We're called to do that. Verse 12 says we're called to do that with a sense of fear and trembling. This is not the same fear of, of the final judgment of God that an unbeliever would have. But this is a healthy fear and reverence and awe of God where we understand that God is our Father and we love Him as our Father. And because we love Him, we don't want to do anything that would hurt Him. We want to please Him in the way that we live our lives. So again, that's our side. We're called to work our salvation out. But the other side of the coin is so important also. We can only work this out because God is working in. And listen again to verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So there's two things that are mentioned there that God is working in our lives. First off, God gives us the want to. God gives us the want to. It says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In other words, without God, we wouldn't even have the will to do what pleases him. We wouldn't even want to do what pleases him if it weren't for God's work in our hearts. You know, even as followers of Christ, we're constantly being pulled by the world system. And so in our flesh, you know what's going to happen? We're going to drift. We're not going to be concerned about spiritual things. We're, we're not going to care uh, about the things that God cares about. Uh, we're we're going to begin thinking like the world thinks. We're going to begin to want the same things that the world wants. It's only God at work in our hearts that's able to counteract all of that and able to give us the will, the want to, to do the things that actually please God. But he doesn't just give us the want to and leave it at that. He also gives us the power to. This verse says God works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So he gives us the power through the indwelling Holy Spirit to do the things that he gives us the desire to do. And what that means, church, is that we can be encouraged. 
That God is not calling us to live out the Christian life on our own. He, he is enabling us. He's giving us everything we need through his spirit that lives in us to be able to want to do what pleases him and to be able to actually do it. If we're going to live like Jesus in a world that needs Jesus, first off, we need to work out what God is working in. So we need to work out. But secondly, Paul says we need to shine out. We need to shine out. Look with me at verses 14 through 16. Paul writes, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. In the middle of verse 15, Uh, Paul tells this ancient church in the city of Philippi that they are living in the middle of a dark culture. And certainly that's at least as true for us today uh, in the culture in which we live as it was for this culture. Paul says that their culture was a crooked and perverse generation. The word crooked is the Greek word skolios from which we get our word skoliosis. It refers to a back that has been curved and and bent. And that's the way that morally the the culture is being described. It's a crooked culture. And then he uses the word perverse that really takes it even further. That, That word was used to talk about someone who has strayed so far from the path that they were severely distorted and 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 twisted. And again, I don't really think that I need to give a whole lot of examples. Uh, for us to understand uh, and see the fact that we are living in a crooked and perverse generation. It was a dark culture back then. It's a dark culture today. But what does God want us to do about it? That's really the real question. Does God want us to just rail against the darkness? Right? Does God want us to, to just to throw up our hands and, and defeat? Does God want us to kind of retreat into a Christian bubble where the only people we ever talk to are people who agree with us? Right? Is that what God wants us to do? No, he tells us in this verse what he wants us to do. He says, be children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. What God wants us to do is he wants us to shine like stars. You know, I don't know the last time you were able to get away from uh, the lights of the city, maybe to go out camping, just to to go out somewhere away from the city and and to be able to look up at the night sky without those lights and, and to be able to see the stars. And it's amazing, right, when there aren't the city lights around you, how bright those stars are, right, against the backdrop of that black nighttime sky. And and this is what Paul is saying, that in a crooked and perverse generation, in a world where the sky is getting darker, right, that as Christians we're actually able to shine even brighter against that backdrop, to shine like stars. And of course, in order for us to shine like stars, it means we have to be different from the backdrop. Right? If we're exactly like the backdrop, if we're also crooked and perverse generation that's living and doing everything the world is doing, then we're not going to shine at all, right? We're just going to blend right in. It's only if we're different. It's only if there's something different about us that will cause us to shine. 
And that's why Paul says in the beginning of verse 15, he wants us to be blameless. God wants us to be harmless. He wants us to be without blemish, without stain. He wants us to be pursuing holy lives that don't look like the rest of the world around us. And that difference should show up in so many different areas of our life. It means that we should love differently. That we should love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We should love others and put others first the way that it talks about in verses 3 and 4 in this same chapter. If we're going to shine like stars, it means that we want to serve others and give our lives away for them the way Jesus gave his life away for us. If we're going to shine like stars, it means that we need to be known as people of honesty and integrity, people who work differently from those who don't know Christ. If we're going to shine like stars, it means we need to be marked by humility and transparency because we've never forgotten that everything we have is because of the grace of God in our life. If we're going to shine like stars, it means we need to be gracious with people. We need to be kind. We need to be forgiving of others, not uh, spiteful, not uh, vengeful. And it means also that we need to be joyful. What we're talking about in this whole series, that we need to have a joy that is contagious, that other people wonder where we got it from. And so in all these ways and more, the Lord wants us to shine like stars. And you know, that's actually a really neat way to just think about what the church is throughout the week. When we leave this place, we, we still remain the church, right? We're not just the church when we're gathered. We're still the church when we're scattered. And so on Monday through Saturday, even just to think about all the folks who are part of our church going out into Melbourne and Palm Bay, shining like little pinpoints of light wherever you are. We should have little pinpoints of light at, at Harris and at Northrop Grumman and at businesses all over this area. Because we have believers there who are shining like stars, who look different from the world around them. It means that we should have little pinpoints of light wherever our children and teenagers are going to school. Pinpoints of light at University Park, at Central, at Stone, at Palm Bay, at Mel High, at FIT, at Eastern Florida State College, right? Pinpoints of light shining like stars. Pinpoints of light in every neighborhood where we live. In Matthew chapter 5, Five, Jesus said that if we will let our light shine, that God will use that to point people to himself. Listen to these words from Jesus. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Notice that Jesus doesn't say that we have to become the light. He says to his followers, you are the light of the world. We don't have to become the light. When you come to know Jesus, you become the light because the light of the world, Jesus Christ, dwells inside of you. So you don't have to become the light. You already are the light of the world. Jesus says, don't hide that light under a basket. Put it on a lampstand. Jesus says, shine like stars. And so back in Philippians 2, there's a couple of specific things that Paul mentions that we need to do if we're really going to shine like stars. First, he says, if you're going to shine like a star, it means that you can't be a complainer. Right? Very practical, very simple, right? In verse 14, he says, don't complain, right? Do all things without complaining and disputing. 
that you may become blameless and harmless and children of God, right? So this idea of not complaining is essential to shining like a star. Complaining is an emotional word. It means to grumble about something that we don't like. The word disputing is more of an intellectual word. It means to question God, to, 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 to uh, just criticize God because of the circumstances that he has allowed to come into our lives. Do all things without complaining and disputing. You know, this is one of my favorite verses uh, to quote to my children. Because if you have kids, you know that they can be expert complainers, right? I mean, kids can complain about anything. And, and, and so I just share this as a service to all the parents who are here, right? Memorize this verse, right? This is a great verse to say, hey, kids, the Bible says, do all things without complaining and, and grumbling. Uh, I, I'm just thankful that, uh, you know, as parents that we never complain about anything, right? You know, <laughs> this week I, I, was, uh, I was in the kitchen. I was telling Megan about, the, I was like, you're not going to believe the verse that's in my text to preach this week is do all things without complaining and grumbling. And I mentioned that to her. And it wasn't but a couple minutes later. We, we were trying to, to get out the door to go somewhere. And somehow this huge box of Fruit Loops fell out of the pantry, fell onto the ground. Fruit Loops were all over the ground. And now I knew that it was going to take even longer to clean all those things up, to be able to leave. And so in my frustration, I said, I can never get anywhere on time. And at the end of that, I almost started to laugh because my eyes caught Megan in the kitchen and she turned around and I already knew what she was going to say. <laughs> Do all things without complaining and grumbling, honey, right? But, but this is hard, isn't it? This is hard to, to live this out because there's so many things, even as grown-ups, right, we can complain about anything, right? We can complain that uh, there's too much work to do or that there's not enough work to do. We can complain about the weather. We can complain that it's too hot or we can complain that it's too cold, right? We can complain uh, about the, the traffic, right? That the drivers are going too fast or that they're going too slow, right? We can, if you think about it, if you're in the right frame of mind, there's always a reason to complain. But if we're in the right frame of mind, biblically speaking, there's always a reason to be thankful. Paul says, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And thankfulness and gratitude is the antidote to complaining and grumbling. And this is an important area. I'm kind of camping out here for a while because this, this is an area where we need to be on our guard. Because this doesn't just affect us as individuals. This affects us as a people. This affect, affects churches. In fact, when you hear that language of a grumbling and complaining people Hopefully your mind turns back to the nation of Israel in the wilderness with Moses. Because over and over in Exodus and Numbers, this is the description of the children of Israel, right? They murmured against Moses and against the Lord, right? They didn't like their food. They didn't like what they had to drink. They didn't like they were in the desert. They didn't particularly like their leaders, right? They're always murmuring and complaining. And this wasn't a little deal. In God's sight, this was a huge offense because what it showed was a lack of faith in the provision of God. And what they were actually doing and, and what we're doing whenever we complain is we're actually practicing not believing that what God has given us is good enough. Let me say that again. Every time we're, we're complaining, what we're actually doing is we're practicing not believing that what God has given us is good enough. And so becoming a complaining, grumbling person does not tend to produce a life of faith and obedience. 
And you know what else complaining doesn't do? It doesn't help us to shine like stars. It doesn't help us to stand out because we live in a world of complainers. And if we complain like everybody else, then we're just going to blend right in. But when we're grateful and when we're marked by praise, especially in difficult circumstances, that's when we shine. So Paul says, if you want to shine, then you need to not complain. And then in verse 16, he says something positively that we need to do. He says, don't complain, instead proclaim. Verse 16, holding fast the word of life. And and, and that word translated holding fast can also be translated holding forth. And in this context, that is what I believe is the meaning of those words. Holding forth the word of life. Holding it out so that other people can take it. Now we can't make people take it, but we can offer it, right? Isn't that what evangelism is, right? It's sharing what we have found. It's sharing the life and the hope that we have found through Christ and holding it out to everyone else, saying, this is what Christ has done for me. This is how he has changed my life. I'm praying that you would take it. I'm praying that you would receive it because I know that he is the the word of life. He's the one who will give you life in this life, but he's the one who will give you eternal life as well. So far we've seen if we're going to live like Jesus in a world that really needs Jesus, then we need to work out. Uh, and secondly, we need to shine out. And, and thirdly, we need to pour out. That's the language that Paul uses in verses 17 and 18. He says, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering, On the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So this idea of pouring out is the language that Paul uses. And and the imagery is is really from the Old Testament. When, When a worshiper would come to the altar, they would lay a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice on the altar. But also there was a type of offering known as a drink offering where someone would come, the worshiper would come, and he would literally pour out the drink offering on the altar, either in front of that sacrifice or literally on top of that sacrifice. And it would be another sacrifice that would be added and it would cause that animal sacrifice to to smoke and to burn and to produce a sweet smell that would rise up to God. And this is the beautiful imagery that Paul is using. He's he's describing the Philippians, the, the church, as sacrifices. He's describing them as living sacrifices that are laid out on the altar to God. Well, in Romans 12, he says that's how we should all view ourselves, right? That we are living sacrifices to God. And then Paul is describing his own life in very vivid language. He's describing his life as that bottle, right, that glass of drink offering that is literally being turned upside down and poured out on that animal sacrifice. He's saying, that's what my life is about. I want my life to be dumped out on top of yours, right, to add to your sweet smell that your life and your faith is providing to God. So my whole life, is about doing whatever I can so that your faith can grow, so that you can bring a more beautiful, sweet-smelling fragrance to our God. Now, Paul doesn't know whether his death, his martyrdom is imminent or not. He's said already in this letter that he believes that he's going to be let out of prison and be able to visit the Philippians again. But he does know that there will come a time that he will be completely emptied out 
for the sake of the gospel. And he's saying, I'm willing to have that happen. In fact, I would be glad to have that happen, to be entirely emptied out for your faith, for your Christian life. What incredible love Paul had for this church. You know, in our church, we talk a lot about making disciples, how every single one of us is called. As a disciple of Jesus, we're called to make disciples. And of course, that, that includes the idea of, of evangelism, of holding forth the word of life for those who have never heard it. But it also includes what Paul is talking about here in verse 17 and 18. It includes pouring our lives out for the faith of other believers to help them to grow. You know, I'm so thankful for so many folks in our church that I see who have, who have caught that vision and, and you're doing exactly that. I, I see parents and, and grandparents who are, who are pouring their lives out as a drink offering for the sacrifice and service of their children's faith. I see children's workers and youth workers who are pouring their lives out so that our children, our teenagers can grow in their faith. I see the women in our brand new adorned women's Bible study ministry who are meeting together and who are discipling one another in order to help each other grow in their faith in Jesus. And it excites me because that's what the church is intended to be. The church is not just a place that we come to, the church is a family that we're a part of. And it's a family where we help each other grow. And that means that we have to give of ourselves. We have to pour ourselves out. And it takes time. It takes energy to do that. Again, Paul's using language of emptying himself in verse 17. In verse 16, he uses language of, of running in a race or laboring or toiling to the point of exhaustion. And making disciples isn't easy, right? It's easier to just think about yourself. Right? It's easy to just go about your own life. It takes energy and time and intentionality to be willing to pour yourself out for the faith of others. But this is what God has called us to do. And this is the pathway to greater joy. In verses 16 and 17 and 18, all, in all three of these verses, there are references to joy. In, in verse 16, right, he talks about how at the last day, at the return of Christ, that, that Paul is going to be able to rejoice because of the faith of these Christians and the fact that by God's grace, he had a part to play in their faith. In verse 17, right, he, he speaks about even if I'm poured out as a drink offering for you, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Verse 18, for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. If, if we want to have joy in Jesus, then we cannot be living for ourselves. If we want to have joy in Jesus, then it means we need to think about the interest of others. It means that we need to put others first. It means that we need to live like Jesus in a world that needs Jesus. It means that we need to work out the salvation that God has given us. It means we need to shine out like stars in the middle of a dark culture. And it means that we need to pour out our life for the faith of people around us. That is the pathway to joy now and joy forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son Jesus on the cross. That he was willing to humble himself and come and die in our place. 
We thank you for the truth that we celebrated last week on Easter Sunday, that your son Jesus is risen again, that he is alive even right now, that he has conquered death, that he has conquered hell, conquered Satan, conquered sin. He's paid for it in full. And Father, as your people in this place, in this small corner of your kingdom, Lord, would you help us to work out the salvation that you have worked in? God, would you help us every day to live lives that increasingly look like Jesus? Would you help us to shine like stars? To not turn away from the world around us or to go into hiding, but Father, to shine, to just be different. In every school, in every business, in every neighborhood, Father, wherever we go, that we would be pinpoints of light that would give people a taste of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. But Father, we know we can't do any of this were it not for your working in us. You are the one who works in us both to will and to do for your good pleasure. In Jesus' name.